be uh, continuing in our uh, verse-by-verse study through the book of Hebrews, and we'll begin in chapter 6 with verse 1, and uh, also we're observing the Lord's table today, we're having communion together, and uh, so we do, we'll provide two ways for you to do that. I think that underneath this uh, uh, blanket here, blanket, that's not the proper uh, t- term for that, but uh, there are the sealed cups, and um, we definitely respect that for some folks, that's still the way that you want to observe communion once you uh, take that package out. But Jonathan uh, is going to uh, make a place for you if that's the way you'd prefer to observe communion. He'll help you with that. Otherwise, we uh, do the Lord's Supper in a manner that's called intinction. So you'll take a piece of bread, you dip it into the cup, and you just come forward and form a line, and Barney and I will be up here to serve you uh, communion that way today. Or uh, Alvin can help today since he's there, so Alvin and I will do it that way. And uh, so after the message this morning, we have our time of commitment. We'll observe communion together and look forward to that. All right, in Hebrews chapter number 6, the Bible says, Therefore, uh, I'm sorry. I don't know why I'm in chapter 6 when I'm supposed to be in chapter 11. Hebrews 11, verses 1 through 6. Now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. For by it the elders obtained a good testimony. By faith we understand that the worlds were framed by the word of God, so that the things which are seen were not made of things which are visible. By faith Abel offered to God a more excellent sacrifice than Cain, through which he obtained witness that he was righteous, God testifying of his gifts, and through it he being dead still speaks. By faith Enoch was translated so that he did not see death and was not found because God had translated him. For before his translation he had this testimony that he pleased God. But without faith it is impossible to please God, for he who comes to God must believe that he is, and that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. Father, we're grateful for the Bible, and God, thank you so much for the observance of baptism with uh, folks who have put their confidence in you, and we thank you for the good things that you're doing uh, by your spirit and and through truth among us, and we pray that you'll speak by your uh, spirit of truth now as we commit ourselves to you in Christ's name, amen. Well, we're thinking about... uh, uh, having this idea of faith and what it what it means and getting a definition of faith in scripture i was uh driving i used to commute over to screven county a lot of times i would go on georgia 17 and it was a misty sort of uh uh morning when it was very humid a lot of con- uh, condensate in the air and uh, for the first time, I noticed that on the power lines on the side of the road, there were these huge spider webs. And uh, I've driven that way over and over again, never noticed it. And it, it was uh, because of the humidity. You know, ordinarily, they were invisible to me. They were always there. But on that particular day, the conditions were just right for me to be able to see these you know, I mean, they stretched from the way that the power lines run in between them. So I'm guessing like four feet, three feet, big old spider webs. Always there, but invisible to me until the conditions made it so that, 
I was able to see them there. But when the Bible talks about faith, it's showing us that there are realities that often are invisible to our view that faith is the condition that makes those realities obvious to us. And so it's not that the Bible is speaking to unrealities, it's speaking to realities, but the Bible says the person who has the perception, uh, who has the, the uh, view of faith is able to see what sometimes to people presents as invisible. And so in the passage today, the, we see the scripture gives us a biblical definition of faith to begin with in saying that faith is the substance of things hoped for. There is a corresponding reality uh, to things that are beyond our current vision that we have set our hope on. And faith it has the coordinates to those promises of God. Faith has those coordinates so, to God's promises. I think about sometimes what we, we b- believe, what faith is, that it's a blind leap. And, but the, it's really similar to me to going someplace you've never been before uh, we're talking about uh, e- existing realities, but they're beyond our vision. For example, the uh, first time, you know, I've shared this probably before, but I ever went, got on an airplane, I flew all the way to India on an airplane. And India to me was this, uh, I mean, I knew it existed, but I'd never been there before. And sometimes the things that we perceive by faith are like that. They have substance. They're, uh, they're real but they're beyond our present vision. So the things that we, when we talk about faith, we're not talking about things that are imaginary. You know, uh, I probably shouldn't do this, but I'll read the comments under news stories online or uh, under conversations that people are having on Facebook. And sometimes people will use a pejorative to describe God. They'll describe him as a sky wizard. Have you ever seen that? If you follow enough um, online discussions, you will eventually see someone who is uh, negative and doesn't believe in God call him the sky wizard. And I'm like, okay, but wizards don't have a historical basis. Whereas God, when we read scripture, we see has a historical basis and there are dates and times and there's empirical evidence of God's reality that culminated in Jesus coming in person. So we're not talking about, when we talk about faith, some unreality. We're talking about a substantial reality. That's why the Bible says faith is the substance of things hoped for. It's re- the reality behind that is God himself. And we've said many, many times that God had a human history. And that human history we'll celebrate, of course, as uh, nativity or advent. The idea that uh, the reality that Jesus came here and was born into this world, that God took on flesh and that God came here. And so it's substantial. It has dates. It has times. It has eyewitnesses. That's the whole claim of Scripture, in fact. When we read uh, 1 John, the very first thing he says right off is that which we've seen, that which we've heard, that which our hands have handled concerning the word of life. He's making a claim to... uh, not something fictional, but a real-life experience that he had. I always like how John 3 ends up. Uh, okay, here we go. Uh, the scripture says that about when John was talking about Jesus, these are the things he said. I shared this recently, but I don't think repetition uh, hurts us a bit. 
It says, he who comes from above is above all. Who is that? Well, John is talking about here Jesus, John the writer in Scripture. He says, he who comes from above is above all. He who is of the earth, who is that? It's John himself that he's talking about. He had just said that uh, Jesus is the one who's greater than he, he was. He must, well, we're talking about John the Baptist. He must increase, I must decrease. He says he's the one who's greater than all, but I'm just the person speaking on earth. He comes, uh, who comes from heaven is above all. And what he has seen and heard, that he testifies. And no one receives his testimony. Of course, that's the first century experience that Jesus had when he came. He came to his own. His own didn't receive him. He came and he spoke and his message was uh, rejected widely, although there were some who followed him and believed in the first century. But he says what Jesus is telling us is because he's eternal God. He, wa he had... An existence, he is eternal God, he came to earth. When he came to earth, he told us what he knew. So when the Bible talks about faith being the substance, it's saying it has uh, issues like this of Christ being the uh, pre-existent, eternal God who came to us. He who has received his testimony, Scripture says, has certified that God is true. For he whom God has sent speaks the words of God, for God does not give the Spirit, spirit by measure. In other words... We said this before, God has told us everything necessary for us to believe. When it says he doesn't give the spirit by measure, it's saying he's not withholding, he's not holding anything back from us. He has told us fully and finally all that we need to know to be in relationship with God. So God's not withholding anything from us. And when Jesus came, Jesus was the person who gave evidence to God's reality. He says, the Father loves the Son and has given all things into his hand. He who believes in the Son has everlasting life, and he who does not believe the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God abides on him. So the Scripture reminds us that everything comes down to who Jesus is, the claims that he made, and that there is a reality in that that, has, that people recorded for us and that we commit to and follow and that's what faith is and faith is we see exhibited for us in the lives of people when we keep going forward in Hebrews we're going to talk about instance upon instance of people who followed God by faith who were people whose lives were marked and characterized by faith so we'll see a lot of illustrations in in their lives and it's encouraging but the, the scripture here talks about the ancestors of uh, those who lived by faith. For by it, it says in verse 2, by what? By faith the elders obtained a good testimony. The ancients, those who existed thousands and thousands of years ago, they also followed God and that they were uh, winning his approval, the scripture says, by faith. How does a person please God? By faith by commitment to the things that God has revealed about himself. The fact of faith was what distinguished them, setting them above the crowd. So of all of the markers or metrics that they could have identified about their own life, their basic metric of success or failure was that, the, that faith in God and the implications of that to them were the, their driving force. It was what they lived through and lived by and so they we talk about some of these people that are so remarkable in the bible 
that we're, we'll see a couple of them this morning. But the, the, the thing that they would say or that God would say about them that gave them an obvious approval from him that pleased the, uh, God was that they committed to follow him by faith. Day by day, they got up. Their life was informed by his person and reality. We'll see, you know, with some of these people like Enoch, people of prayer, people of obedience, people of service and gratitude, people who sometimes left home without having a clear sense of where they were going, but with enough trust to know that God would fill in the information for them. That was what faith was uh, looked like in their lives. And so... The, the scripture talks about the origins of the world here in verse 3. And we think about a definition of what faith is and how it differs maybe than what people think. By faith, we understand that the worlds were framed, the scripture says, by the word of God or uh, so that the things which are seen were not made of things which are visible. This is the opposite of what science often teaches. So uh, we look at these lives of uh, uh, faithful folks in Scripture, and we see where they, uh, their priorities were. Okay, here's the, what I wanted to think about for a few moments, like origins. Where did we come from? Because when you get to this, we're talking about what life means. And the Bible says, well, what life means is that God was first. You know, the, often the opposite view, there are only two views. They're both faith views, by the way. In other words, both of these views, because who was there when the world was created? Nobody who's written about it except for one person who spoke, and uh, he's the person we ought to listen to. He was the only person. What do they say science is? Science is uh, observation, experimentation, hypothesis, or at least that's what they taught me in approximately fifth grade. I can't remember. Observation, experimentation, theory, hypothesis based on those things. Well, nobody was there when the world was created. And so nobody observed it except for the one person who spoke to it, who came to say, here is how it happened and what life means, and we ought to listen to him. And the Bible is saying here that the world was framed by God speaking. There are one or two approaches that everything that we experience came to be on the basis of uh, people talk about creation ex nihilo. It's a Latin phrase that means out of nothing. Out of nothing. God, who existed before everything, spoke the material world into being by his power. That's one faith perspective. The other faith perspective says that infinite time plus chance resulted in the material world with all its complicated uh, things and it's in the order that we observe it, it, it all came out of chaos and just given a, enough time it's, it eventually made sense is the, is the other view of course that's probably someone from that perspective would say an oversimplification but believers, Christians say that God was first and that God out of his spoken power brought about the material world, consequently, it has meaning on the basis of who he is. But the other perspective says, I don't know where matter came from in that view. I've uh, heard some folks that have written about it speak to it. They said, well, maybe life here was uh, seeded on the 
backs of aliens or some such thing. But where did matter come from? If, if uh, You have to explain it from one of the other faith perspectives. That's the, the point. One writer, in thinking about what the odds are of a world of chaos resulting in the observable order that we see, said, what are the chances that a tornado might blow through a junkyard containing all the parts of a 747 accidentally assembling them into a plane and leave it ready for takeoff? What are the chances? He says, well, the possibilities are so small as to be negligible even if a tornado were to blow through enough junkyards to fill the whole universe. And I think that's a pretty suitable illustration and analogy for what the Bible says here. I understand why infinite time plus chance is an attractive model for people because it excludes God. Because if I say, given enough time, the material world ordered itself, complicated, multiple, you know, uh, beings of the high nature and order that a human being appears to be, that all happened accidentally. Well, it kind of takes me off the hook, and it allows me to assign meaning to life according to my own thoughts and ideas and reasons. And, I, and it makes me not answerable to God as judge. So I understand the appeal of that perspective. But there's only one person who ever had a human history that claimed to have been there at the formation of the cosmos. The scripture says in John chapter 1, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God. And the Word was God. And in verse 14, and the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. So the only person who claims, hey, I was there at the formation of the material world, appeared and spoke to us, and he affirms the Genesis narrative. Right? Jesus affirms the scriptural narrative, which says, in the beginning... God created the heavens and the earth. And then God created and peopled the earth. And God also put uh, living beings here. So, the, you know, first we see this biblical definition of faith. And then we see uh, also the, the uh, lives of faithful people. Two illustrations here that we get. And as I say, we'll see many, many others. So it's interesting that the Bible here giving us this idea of the lives of faithful people starts with the first family, Adam and Eve, and their offspring, Cain and Abel, the siblings, two uh, first the humans that populated the world, and their children. And fratricide, right? That's the first thing that happens is that a brother kills his brother. So Abel has a testimony of having pleased God, whereas Cain in Scripture we know did not. His sacrifice, the Scripture simply says, was more agreeable. Now, you can speculate uh, as to why that was. You know, sometimes people will say, well, uh, Cain was a gardener. He brought produce, but Abel was, you know, uh, raised livestock, and he brought a blood sacrifice, and the blood sacrifice was what God wanted and so it con but there's some speculation there because nothing prior to that in the book of Genesis tells you that that was the reason God approved or disapproved of the offering here's what I would say Th these brothers knew they knew what it was that God was after 
and what it was that he required and expected. And it's also important for us to know that God isn't arbitrary or erratic. He's not making things up as he goes along. There's an order to who God is and the way that God speaks and, and the expectations that he has. And what we see in the Bible is, if you remember the narrative afterward, what does God say to Cain? He warns him basically, right, be careful. He says your, his countenance, the Bible says, fell. And he, he was angry about the fact that his sacrifice wasn't accepted. And God told him, be careful because the resentment and the anger that's simmering in you, he says, sin is crouching at the door to overcome you. And what God is, is saying to Cain in the scriptural narrative there is that he knows, God knows best for us. So if you're trying to understand in the big picture, what does a person of faith look like according to Abel and Cain? They're a person who is submitted to God's revealed purpose for them as best. That person says, my impulses may uh, differ from what you see, God, about this world, but you're God and I'm not. To me, that's the difference between Abel and Cain, is that Abel was a person who was able to, able to say, a little pun there, accidentally snuck in. But he, he, he said to God that, that you're right in your perception of the world because you're God. You're right in your perception of the world because you're God. And God was pleased with that because he was God, is God, revealing himself to people. And we know that what God predicted about Cain actually shortly came true, is that sin was crouching, waiting for him, and that his de determination to have life his way ended for him in futility, banished and driven away from his family and from the presence of God. Even though Abel lived many thousands of years ago, the Bible says he being dead, his testimony of faith is still speaking. And it is, right, this morning. We're looking at this person and we're saying, okay, that's how God evaluates people. And in him we see a legacy that honors God. And that's phenomenal. And hopefully that's what we want, is one day for people to be able to look back at our life and say this person's life, their journey, was characterized by obedience and faithfulness and love for God. Love for God was the outstanding thing about that person. That's what we're saying about Abel. Who knows how many years after the fact, thousands and thousands, we know that. What's the chief end of man? The uh, greater uh, Westminster Catechism says, I'm Baptist background, I only know this tiny little bit of the Westminster uh, Catechism, but it says, what is the chief end of man? That he might glorify God and enjoy him forever. Why did God, what's the purpose of a human? Why did God make you? Why did he make me? that I might glorify God and enjoy God. How do I enjoy God? By being aligned with his revelation of himself and being obedient to God according to what he tells us of himself. The second illustration of a person that we get in this story is of 
person, a guy named Enoch. The one uh, paraphrase of scripture says Enoch, Enoch skipped death completely because God had taken him. There's life. I had, when I went through Bible college and some seminary courses and uh, graduated, the, one of the professors I remember talked about the difficulty of finding the idea of resurrection in the Old Testament. Of course, I don't think that. I think that it's clear that there's resurrection, that there's life after death, that there's life beyond this temporary life, and you can see it in the Old Testament too, but one evidence of it would be Enoch, who the Bible says was walking with God, and God took him, translated him as the way that this translation of the Bible puts it, which translated in this idea just means that he skipped death. He didn't die. So if he didn't die, where did he go? He, he went to the place that people go to be with God and to continue to enjoy God, which the idea is that there is more life after this life. There's more life. This life is not everything. It's temporary, and we're, but we're not, right? We're immortal. We have a soul inside of us. It's immortal. It goes on. And this person's life pleased God. He walked with God is the very simple way the Bible puts it. There was a, a intimacy between him and God, connection, closeness. And, of course, that the Bible says that he was taken. God took him to be with him. There's life beyond the temporary world. Enoch, the uh, father of Methuselah. My mom used to always say somebody was as old as Methuselah. Any of y'all's mom say that? That just meant they were very old. Methuselah lived to be 900 and something years old. The last person and the oldest person that's listed in that uh, chronology. And we, we think about the days that Enoch lived in. What was the world like in his day? He lived just before the deluge, the Bible says, the, the great flood. When the Bible says, here's what characterized people in his day. The thought and intents of their heart were only evil continually. That was his time. But this guy, it says, walked with God so closely, with so, so much intimacy that God just, they just kept walking until they got to God's house is how one old preacher put it. He, he took him to be with him. And one writer says, what's so striking about Enoch is how he stood so much above the corruption of his age. He lived in a corrupt time when the world was about to be flooded because of God's disgust with people's sinfulness. And God started all over with the, another group of people and he was removed out of that because he was outstanding in his quality. How do I know that the faith that I profess is a, a, the kind of faith the Bible speaks about? How do I know that I have a biblical faith? Well, we, we're going to see examples of people who had biblical faith. There were exploits. That's what Hebrews 11 is really uh, about. It's exploits. There was a uh, testimony that, that, that a person had that later was spoken to and we're supposed to have a testimony as well. There were citable illustrations that people could look back. Do you have people like that in your family? I do. People that influence me. You know, I've mentioned my mom. My sister. My sister was here a few weeks ago. 
somebody that has citable illustrations of faith. It's not hard to find things in their life that you go, that person, because of the commitment of their life, had a, has a demonstration that faith is meaningful to them. That's what we see in Hebrews chapter 11. That's what we should aspire to, is that there would be about us those qualities that people will be able to look at our life and they'll talk about us in a generation the way maybe we talk about our grandparents or the way that they were uh, spoke of their grandparents. We'll be able to be in that line of people that had exploits. That's what I think God is saying is important. Not that that's how we come into relationship with him, obviously, but it is a evidence of the fact that faith is meaningful to us. And then the scripture shows us in the sixth uh, verse the absolute necessity of faith, we see. It says, without faith it's impossible to please God for those that come to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards the person who carefully seeks after him. So we have this great promise from God that he rewards people who seek him. Faith is the prerequisite to pleasing God. It's interesting that people who profess uh, not to believe in God are so angry at God. Have you noticed that? Like how angry often atheists are at this non-entity. How you can muster so much uh, emotional energy toward someone who apparently doesn't even exist. And the, maybe the problem is that we have the wrong God that we're angry at. Not the God who says, look, if you seek me, I'll reward that. I'll bless that. I think sometimes the concept that people have about God is different than what he says to us about himself. His fundamental description of his identity when Moses was uh, called on to lead the people out of captivity, you remember he says, who am I to say sent me? Remember what God said? I am, I am, what does that mean? I exist, I'm here, I'm real, I save, I deliver, I care, I speak, I lead, I support, instruct. That's what God says about it himself in, in the scripture. There's a basic openness that God requires from a person. A basic openness that's described in the Bible as seeking the Lord. Whoever seeks the Lord, he'll reward, the Bible says. I like uh, how Max Lucado, a great quote from him, he says, if there are a thousand steps between you and God, he'll take 999. He says, but he leaves a step for you. The final one is for us. And that aligns with this passage that says God rewards those that seek after him. You know, uh, people often are put off by the idea of the seeker-sensitive church, that model that says we're, you know, we care about people, we're going to try to make conditions, you know, healthy for people that are seeking. But the Bible is full of passages that say that God wants us to seek him and he rewards seeking I'm not saying that, you know, necessarily the model is correct. I'm saying that the idea that people, that God says, seek me, that is correct. The Bible says uh, in Isaiah, seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he's near, Isaiah 55, verse 6. Uh, Jeremiah 29, 13, you will seek me and find me when you search for me with all your heart, the Bible says. It says basically the same thing we're seeing here in Hebrews. 
I love those who love me and those who seek me diligently will find me, the Bible says in Proverbs 8, uh, 17. Psalm 9:10. and those who know your name will put their trust in you for you, Lord, have not forsaken those who seek you. Now, sometimes this is certainly talking about the uh, commitment in a person's life of prayer. The Lord is good to those who wait for him, to the soul who seeks him, lamentations. Ask and it will be given you, seek and you will find, knock and the way will be open to you. For everyone who asks receives and he who seeks finds. And to him who knocks it will be opened. The disposition that's needed in the life of a person is some place where there is an openness for us to cry out to God, to reach out to God, to come to God. And he compels us to do that. Without faith, it is impossible to please God. The person that comes to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who move in his direction. I believe God draws us to himself, but I, I think there's also an aspect of the will where a person uh, surrenders and says yes and uh, stops their rebellion, ends their rebellion, and acknowledges that there's God and that God is good and that God loves us and cares and invites us to come to him. So understanding faith as we uh, come to our time of commitment in, in our service isn't like nailing gelatin to the wall. You know, sometimes we think, what is faith? Well, it's not like that. It's clear in the Bible when it says faith is the substance of things hoped for. It, it has a history. There are markers in there. We've been told about it through Jesus, who himself is the focal point. In Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting our transgressions against us and committed to us this ministry of reconciliation that we would appeal that people would be brought to God, that God himself, that's the desire of his heart, is he's not willing that any should perish but that all should come to repentance. And faith has uh, given us eyes to see the world as God sees it. It helps us understand that what's seen is temporary, but what's unseen, the Bible says, is eternal. Exact opposite of the way we often perceive the world. He says, no, there are plenty of things that are unseen that have more substance and are eternal compared to what you currently are uh, understanding to be real in, in this world. So faith sees that and seizes, we, we could say that. There's more life beyond our physical uh, perception underneath everything God is binding it together with his own purpose and that pur purpose has everything to do with him his supremacy that's what God wants in your life is his supremacy and he deserves to be supreme in our lives and he says that's what I'm pursuing in the world is my glory my supremacy over your life and when he is Lord to us, faith becomes active and real. And his commandments, the scriptures say, are not burdensome. That's what Jesus said. My commandments are not burdensome. They are life-giving. They give us life. When God's foremost in our lives will be founded on his truthful word, Matthew 7, 24 through 27, the Bible says if uh, there's 
if we build our life on this foundation, the rock that is Christ, the storms of life and the winds will blow and the floods will come, but we'll be founded on a rock and, and we won't fall. So faith is that confession of Jesus is Lord and it's also more than words. It has exploits that become a testimony in bringing God glory. And it's the opposite of a self-directed life. Faith is the opposite of that. Nobody can live a self-directed life that leaves God out and say, I am a person of faith. No, a person of faith cares about the supremacy of God, puts God first, worships and acknowledges Jesus as Lord. Following Jesus has become for that person the basic metric of success or failure. They say, I'm a success because my, the commitment of my life is to listen to what he says and to follow him. Living for him sets the pace for that person's priorities. And so faith has substance in their life. So that's the question for us today. Is that the life that is true about you this morning? It's true about me that we're characterized by belief that has effects for us and that is obvious it shows up as a witness or have we surrendered have we stopped trying to be the uh, primary person who is directing our own life I want us to have a moment of prayer and then we'll have a song during our time of uh, like who perceived the world by faith and that we see that faith is uh, not just imaginary and so God we pray for us today that our confession of faith will also have real evidences uh, to us and others and we pray God today that you'll um, help as anyone may be seeking you that God we know that you initiate that you start it and so we pray that you'll give them faith to have a, a obedience to the gospel, to the good news about who Jesus is and how his death and burial and resurrection have given us the, a pathway, the only way to you. And so we love you. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. Would you stand with me?